Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Billboard.com Pop Shop Podcast. My name is Keith Caulfield, and I am the co-director of Charts at Billboard. And joining me, as always, is Billboard's deputy editor, Digital, Katie Atkinson. Hi, Katie. Hey, Keith. How's it going? It's going great. It's, uh, I'm not sure if you knew this, it's Tony's week. Tony, 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 <laughs> Tony, 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 That's a different thing, Tony, Tony, Tony. Tony, right. Feels good. Knowing that the Tony Awards are this Sunday, it feels good. Yeah, the Tony Awards are this Sunday, and we'll be actually talking about the Tony Awards later on the show, because as always... The Billboard Pop Shop Podcast is your one-stop shop for all things pop on Billboard's weekly charts. In addition, you can always count on a lively discussion about the latest pop news, fun chart stats and stories, new music, and guest interviews with music stars and folks from the world O-pop. Today on the show, we've got news about Shawn Mendes, Kanye West, Selena Gomez, and how Billboard is celebrating Pride Month. Ooh la la. Uh, plus, we'll be... I don't know why that's an ooh la la for Pride <laughs> Month. <laughs> Sorry, folks. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I'm personally excited about yeah. it. Um, plus, we'll be joined by Billboard's senior editor and host of Billboard on Broadway podcast, of the Billboard on Broadway podcast. Uh, prepositions would be good there, isn't <laughs> that right? A v is a preposition? Um, it's a definite article. Shoot. Definite articles are good to have into <laughs> intros there. Um, Rebecca Millsoff uh, to talk all things Tony Awards. Um, we'll be talking about what to watch out for on the show um, and who might walk away with some of the big prizes of the night. But first, before we get started, if you enjoy the podcast, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast provider so you won't miss an episode. And if you want to explore more podcasts from Billboard, like, say, the Billboard on Broadway podcast, yeah. for instance, visit Billboard.com slash podcasts. Yeah, the Billboard on Broadway <laughs> podcast. This is what happens when Billboard I'm... Billboard on the Broadway? Like Broadway. I'm just plowing through the script a little bit too quickly, and I just drop out words that are sure, really sure. important to have there. Um, well, let's hit some of the biggest chart news this week, according to me. Um, first up, it's all about Shawn Mendes at the top of the Billboard 200 Albums chart. As the pop singer-songwriter debuts atop the list with his new self-titled third full-length studio album the set bows with 182,000 equivalent album units earned uh, of which 142,000 were in traditional album sales and uh, those numbers are both in the week ending may 31st according to nielsen music Um, by the way both of those sums represent career high weeks for sean so good for sean um by the way sean's first week uh, was boosted by a concert ticket album sale redemption offer, hmm. as was his last album, Illuminate. So, yes. you know, this is kind of par for the course. It's what everyone does. Uh, notably, Sean gets his third number one at the ripe old age of just 19 years <laughs> and 10 months old, uh. Uh, making him the third youngest act to achieve that particular feat, um, meaning only two other acts got their third number one at younger ages. And those acts were... I'm going to say, I hope the listeners are mentally guessing right now. Can you now. guess? You can probably guess. Uh, Justin Bieber mm-hmm. and Miley Cyrus. Yes. Um, they were the only two that were younger when they got their third number ones. Justin was 17 and Miley was 15. Just just 15. Those Hannah Montana days. Oh, those crazy days. Actually, she she was... Her third number one was Breakout. Mm. And then the second one was the Hannah Montana 2 slash Meet Miley Cyrus. Yes. And then the first one was the first Hannah Montana yeah. thing, which we give her credit for because she is Hannah Montana. And she, yeah. 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 She's saying the whole thing. Anyway, yes. um, next over on the Billboard Hot 100 chart, um, as Sean's uh, In My Blood 
hits a new high. It rises at 20 to 11. Um, Drake's Nice for What holds at number one for a sixth non-consecutive week. Uh, further down the list, Selena Gomez, a uh, friend of the podcast, Selena Gomez. Sean, too. And Sean, too. Um, not not Drake yet, though. Not yet. Not yet. Oh, my goodness. Let's get Drake on the pop show. Can you imagine? I would love it. That would be crazy. Uh, well, Selena Gomez gets her 20th top 40 hit. As Back to You, from the 13 Reasons Why Season 2 soundtrack, jumps 46 to 38. Incredibly, that's Gomez's 15th consecutive top 40 hit, stretching back to 2012's Love You Like a Love Song, which was credited to Selena Gomez and The Scene, by the way. Consecutive, a.k.a. every single song she's released since 2012 every has hit the top 40? Every single song that she's charted on the Hot 100 with that's has gone top 40. Whoa! Yeah. That's serious. Yeah, I mean... The last six years. I don't... I don't I mean, maybe there's been something that she released that just didn't make the chart, sure. but that seems highly it improbable. Does. Yeah. I'm, That's yeah. wild. Yeah, exactly. Um, and Speaking of wild. Here's speaking <laughs> of wild. and So unintentional. That was not even scripted. <laughs> Seriously, it wasn't. It wasn't. Um, and here's a name that hasn't been on Billboard's charts in nearly 25 years. Kim Wilde. <laughs> <laughs> um, the singer is back on our charts with Candy Crush, and that's spelled with a K. Both words, which debuts at number 47 on the Dance Club Songs chart. It's her first chart ink since way back in January of 1994, when her cover of If I Can't Have You, which of course was a huge hit for Yvonne Elliman and it was written by the Bee Gees, wrapped up its run on the Dance Club Songs chart in, um, oh, sorry, after earlier peaking at number 14. Uh, coincidentally, it was this week in 1987 that Wild topped the Hot 100 with her cover of You Keep Me Hanging On. What's so, a jam? Welcome back to the charts, Kim Wilde. Uh, lastly, looking to next week on the charts, Kanye West is on track to score his eighth number one album on the Billboard 200 with Yay. It's just Yay, right? Just Yay. Just Yay. Y-E. Industry forecasters suggest the seven-song album could bow with over 175,000 units earned in the week ending June Seventh, of course, that number could fluctuate wildly by the time you actually hear this podcast. It could be a little bit lower, could be even higher. Mm-hmm. So you know, don't put us on blast if he doesn't actually hit 175 exactly. I have to mm-hmm. couch that so specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, um, the Kanye's album uh, is the second in a series of weekly album releases from his Good Music label, following Pusha T's Daytona, which debuts in the top ten this week. Um, Katie. Mm-hmm. Katie. Mm-hmm. Speaking of K's and Kanye's <laughs> um, and Candy Crushes and Kardashians um, and Kardashians, uh, <laughs> how are folks reacting to the Kanye album? And what are the upcoming good music albums that are coming out in the next few weeks? Well, um, I think that as is the like par for the course with everything Kanye, it's a mixed bag of responses. Mm. Um, I think his, you know, really dedicated followers are all in on Kanye. And are really digging this and and liking the very personal lyrics on it. He gets very deep about mental health in it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think people are appreciating that. There's some very interesting sounds on this that people are appreciating. On the other side, it is a short 23 minutes long. Yeah, seven songs. Seven tracks, 23 minutes. Um, People are uh, taking to Twitter and like ranking all of his albums. And I've pretty much only seen... Yay at the bottom of most of those lists. And you know what? That's 
talking about a pretty amazing catalog of work that he's put out, obviously. Yeah. So, like, um, you know, comparing him to himself is, you know, tricky work to begin with. And some people would argue his worst album is still better than a lot of other people. Yeah, I would have That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. So I feel like, you know, it's really just, you know, a mixed result. And uh, as you said, it started with Pusha T, which obviously uh, a lot of the headlines are around his feud with Drake. Yeah. Um, starting with the song Infrared, which was on that album Daytona. Um, but there are plenty more good music releases coming, including Friday, another one from Kanye with Kid Cudi. Uh, they have a little group they're calling Kids See Ghosts. Um, okay. So another album from Kanye coming in one week. Uh, as Keith uh, and I were talking about earlier, Kanye could definitely replace himself at number one. In if a, he yeah, he could, but now that he's like calling this not Kanye West, it's, mm, it's called... So it's like Kids See Ghosts replace. Yeah. Replaces. Like, it's not quite the same thing mm. as like when Future replaced himself. Because right, I thought right, this was right. going to be like Kanye West ampersand and Kid Cudi. Mm, but no. evidently it's not. So it's kind of like the Huncho Jack, Jack Huncho thing. Yeah. Where it's like they purposely gave themselves a group name. Yeah. So it's like, you're sort of replacing your mouth, but you're not. Yeah. So maybe if Kanye hears this, there. he'll change it to Kanye West and Kid Cudi. If you want that chart credit, Kanye, <laughs> think you, about if that. If you want to have that magical feat of replacing uh, yourself at number one. And then after that, next week is Nas, which a lot of people are looking forward to the team up of Kanye and Nas and then um, Tiana Taylor who uh, people might know best from her dancing in Kanye's fade video a couple years ago from the Pablo album Um, but she also is a great singer and has been an artist but this is kind of her first good music look people Mm. have been waiting for her debut on good music Hmm. so uh, there could be more even there could be more Yeah, Kanye said that there could be more and you know when Kanye says something uh, he's already delivered this People wondered if these back-to-back albums would come, and so far they've kept uh, kept to the schedule. So far, the first two have materialized. So, <laughs> Indeed. Hey. So we'll see. But uh, let's uh, transition over to some of the biggest headlines on Billboard.com, shall we? Okay. So uh, in honor of Pride Month, which kicked off on Friday, June 1st, Billboard Pride is once again posting a series of love letters to the LGBTQ community from some of your p- favorite pop stars. Now, I went back and looked at who wrote letters last year, and it's insane. Mm-hmm. Let's just talk about last year when we launched this um, initiative. We had love letters from Britney Spears, Barbara Streisand, Christina Aguilera, Celine Dion, Demi Lovato, Elton John, Jennifer Lopez, Kelly Clarkson, Liza Minnelli, Selena Gomez, and more. Like, that is just a, just the top, like, you know, eight or whatever. There are, there's a ton, there's dozens of them. I mean, you know, Barbara and Brittany are great, but Liza? I mean, come on. I know. When I was looking at the list, I had to mention Liza. Wow. Um, And also, uh, you know, it's making uh, our pride editor, Patrick's job, very difficult to to find new letters this year because he pretty much got a a serious selection last year. But he's already done a, I mean, Patrick Crowley has done like a bang up job. He's our pride editor and he's the one that's like sort of shepherding this whole thing. And he already like, you know, totally came in with, with a great first day. Ariana Grande that's wrote a, a love letter. It's a nice look. It was a good look. Thank, Friday, we published you, that Ariana. letter. Ariana shared it um, on Twitter as well. So if you follow her, you might have seen it. Um, her letter talks about growing up with her gay brother, Frankie Grande, and wanting nothing more in her music career than to speak to the gay community with her songs. Hmm. She writes, I am eternally indebted to and inspired by the LGBTQ community. I hope to create anthems for you that wrap you up with comfort and make you get your best life for as long as I live. Get your best life. Yes. Thank you for celebrating me the way I celebrate you. Um, you can read Ariana's full letter over on Billboard.com slash Pride, where you can also find new letters from Imagine Dragons frontman Dan Reynolds, 
Dance Diva and Real Housewives of Beverly Hills star Erica Jane and more. We're going to have a new one every single day. So keep checking. Yeah, I feel like he's actually posted more than like one new one, maybe. I it, no, be it's wrong. been one a day oh, so just far. One a day. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Because I saw a bunch a of tweets. A Great Big World was Sunday. Okay. Yeah. Then, so there'll be a new one tomorrow or Tuesday. I well, You'll probably already know it at this point, but I'm, you know being coy there will be lots more letters yeah I've, and i've and i've heard uh, people little birdies have told me who about some pretty good about names some pretty good up. names so i mean uh yeah go. patrick doing the lord's work there you go another big kickoff to pride month was taylor swift's reputation tour stop in chicago on saturday where she took time before singing her latest single delicate to salute her fans living their honest lives she told her fans, it's very brave to be vulnerable about your feelings in any situation, but it's even more brave to be honest about your feelings and who you love when you know that it might be met with adversity from society. This month and every month, I want to send my love and respect to everybody who has been brave enough to be honest about how they feel, to live their lives as they are, as they feel they should be, as they identify. This is a big deal, I think. Maybe it wasn't... Okay, it was done in Chicago. What if she had done this in one of her Southern tour stops? Where she's still got a lot of the country fans left over and a lot of people who are maybe not as open to this line of thinking as Taylor herself is. Well, maybe this would just happen to be the first date that happened in June. Yeah, so let's see if she continues to preach this message in Pride Month. But obviously, when no, you, you say do something... No, you do it once and you're done. When you say something on stage, it then gets on the internet and yeah. everybody knows about it, right? Yeah. Um, I, I, I thought it was a big moment. No, I mean, considering that Taylor doesn't often make kind of sort of I mean, social or social statements. statements. And I I mean, I think people can just you you don't have to think of this as a political statement. You can just think of it as a statement of just, you know, sort of embracing each other and, you know, love one another and try to, you know, understand one another a little Mm -hmm. bit more, um, which shouldn't be viewed as a political thing. Right. Um, But yeah, you know, I think I think it was also a very um, delicately worded um, statement. I think it was a very well worded statement because, you know. She knows that everything that she says, you know, could possibly be misinterpreted. Sure. Um, so I think it was a very nice statement, and um, she didn't have to say anything. No. And, you know, that's thank you, Taylor. So uh, write us a love letter next for Billboard.com. I think this probably works <laughs> as her own love letter. Okay, that's fair. It's a love um, letter sent out to everyone. Yes, the entire world. Yes. Um, just as a little follow-up note, for Billboard Pride coverage this month and beyond, make sure to follow our brand new at Billboard Pride uh, accounts on Twitter and Instagram. I follow them. I do too. Whole, whole lot of whole lot of pride going on. There's so much pride. So much pride. And it's year-round. Like, uh, Patrick kicked it off last Pride Month, so June 2017, and has been doing year-round coverage since then. But obviously, it's a special month. Finally, the Tony Awards that we mentioned are this Sunday, June 10th, at New York's Radio City Music Hall. So we decided to call up our fellow Billboard podcast host, Rebecca Millsoff, who hosts the Billboard on Broadway podcast and writes about Broadway for Billboard.com to chat all about the show. So let's get to our little conversation with Rebecca. Hey there, Rebecca. Welcome to the Pop Shop Podcast. How's it going? It's going well. Thank you for having me. <laughs> of course. Um, before we get into your predictions for the winners and all these categories, were there any big snubs for the Tonys this year in any of the musical categories? Well, there are a few things that pop out. Um, I think one of the biggest is that uh, Jimmy Buffett's big 
Broadway foray Escape to Margaritaville was completely shut out. Um, mm. I would say many people would say that was for good reason, but um, I will, as a non-critic, I will I will keep my mouth shut on that. But um, <laughs> that w- that's conspicuously absent. Um, there there were also I think uh, a lot fewer nominations for Frozen than everyone was expecting. Yeah, there, it was like what or three, three or there, something like just three. Yeah, maybe? it's it's yeah. it's three nominations, yeah. and I think that particularly um, the fact that there weren't uh, acting category nominations for Casey Levy and Patty Murren, who play Elsa and Anna, was. Uh, you know, considered a snub because the, the two of them are, are great, I think. Well, and we're reminded of the importance of the Tonys again because uh, Margaritaville promptly closed after it got shut out of the Tony nominations, correct? It's announced yeah, that it's, it's closing? Yeah, it's, uh, I believe, I believe that's the case. Yeah, they, that's what they, I saw they, last they, week. Yeah, they announced that it's closing. It hasn't actually cl- shut the doors yet. Right, but, right. Um, but, I mean, it's never, usually you can count on the Tony Awards to give you a little bit of oomph if you're maybe on the mm-hmm. ber- on the t- you know teetering on the on the brink and or put the nail in the coffin if you're if yes. you're escaped to Margaritaville but on, on the bright side on the bright side they announced a, tour, a national tour for Margaritaville oh, Jimmy Buffett's going to be just fine yeah yeah no I mean that that's a show that had a, a lot of out of town productions uh, that went well before it came to Broadway. Uh, it also has, um, I think, one of the biggest, if not the biggest, theaters on Broadway right now, which is, you know, for any show, tough to fill every night. Maybe they should have rethought that before they booked that venue. Hmm. hmm. Well, anyway, um, so <laughs> those those are some big snubs. Um, but let's get into who you think will actually win some of the awards. And by the way, listeners, Rebecca has seen all of the nominees for both Best Revival of a Musical and Best Musical, which is more than I can say for Katie and I, who have seen zero. Yes, over here in Los Angeles, not so much. Not so much. Yes. So, for for um, the fall and the spring, I basically just set up a tent in Times Square and I don't leave. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, let's uh, start with Best Revival of a Musical. Um, the nominees are My Fair Lady, Once on This Island, and Rodgers and Hammerstein's Carousel. What... Rebecca, do you think will win this category? Well, this is, I have to apologize, this is a complicated answer, because I actually think that uh, Revival of a Musical is maybe one of the most exciting categories that the Tony is this year, which is not often the case. Wow. Usually the Revival category will have maybe, you know, one standout show and a couple of shows that are there because they just happen to be the other revivals that happened that season. Um, these three shows are definitely three of the best-reviewed shows um, of the 2017-2018 season, and I really think any of them could walk away with the award and would be deserving. Um, you have two big revivals, uh, including, you know, Carousel has the, the boost of Scott Rudin, who is always a, a, a good sign at the Tony if Scott Rudin is behind your show. Um, and both, you know, really immaculately realized productions of really beloved Broadway scores with big stars. Um, and, you know, I think either would be completely deserving. Once on this island is a smaller show um, that, you know, has been completely reimagined from its original production. It has a real kind of star is born performance from Haley Kilgore, who's nominated for Best Actress in a Musical. Um, it's a really inventive production. It's just a total delight to see. Uh, so that would be kind of an underdog, but um, again, would be totally deserving if it gets the award. My my personal vote would be for My Fair Lady. I 
uh, was totally blown away by the production of Lauren Ambrose, who a lot of people know from Six Feet Under, not particularly for singing, uh, plays Eliza Doolittle, and she really is bringing a super individual interpretation of Eliza that I think feels very progressive and um, I think there's a, there's a little subtle twist to the show that I don't want to give away but that um, makes it feel very modern and uh, without sort of changing the essence of the show so that's what I would go for but I love all three of them well that I'm intrigued I want to totally see that now so um, <laughs> that sounds amazing and uh, let's move over to the best musical category now um, which is for new musicals making their Broadway debut um, the nominees are The Band's Visit Frozen Mean Girls and Spongebob Squarepants the Musical so who do you think uh, will win this one well I wanted to start by saying that this is this is a really interesting year for uh, original musical nominations because there just weren't that many new original musicals this year. I was comparing the list of shows that debuted in the 2016-2017 season uh, versus this season, and it's literally twice as many shows hmm. last year than this year. Um, so there weren't that many shows um, to compete. To, to, uh, to, to, but... to actually, sorry, I want to ask you a question, Rebecca. How many mm-hmm. new? How many? How many? Uh, hmm. Sorry, how many musicals were actually eligible for the best new or the best musical category this year? Did, was it kind of like you had a one in two chance of being nominated? Is it that slim? Yeah, this is. There were, uh, by my count, um, using using my favorite source, the Internet Broadway Database, which is always right. Um, <laughs> there, there were there were six new musicals uh, that were not revivals this year. Wow. Whereas wow. there were, I think, actually twelve the year before. So four and out of so four big... out of the six nom- so four out of the six new musicals got nominations. So if you weren't nominated, mm-hmm. you really. Did I get it wrong, Katie? Katie? No, that's crazy. Katie just put her hand over her mouth. I'm like, did I get it wrong? So that no, means, it's just crazy. So it's, yeah, that's that's yeah. It's almost like the like the like the daytime soap awards or something. It's like, well, you know, Young and the Restless is going to get nominated for best soap. I mean, wow. Well, I will say I will say that the the four shows that were nominated, I think, were all really uh, fun shows and um, totally deserve it. And we're not dismissing them, different... people. Don't worry, we're not dismissing them. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, but this is this is also a very different year from the past couple of years because it's not a year when there was one show that was kind of stealing all of the thunder. Last year it was Dear Evan Hansen, and the year before it was Hamilton. And I wouldn't say that there's one complete runaway success like that um, this year, which makes you know the the night of the Tonys a little bit more exciting. Um, you know, this is it's hard not to see this category as the three Goliaths over one little David. Um, you know, you have three very big musicals with corporate backing of different kinds who I think all do a really uh, you know, admirable job of turning something that was pre-existent into stage material and making it really lively. Um, obviously, you know, Mean Girls and SpongeBob have the are tied for the most nominations this year. I think it's twelve, which is crazy. Um, very different shows, but both uh, definitely like giant production kind of things. Um, but my favorite show, which has been my favorite show since the fall, and honestly since even a year before that when it was off Broadway is the band's visit and I think that there is a good chance that it could win the sort of bigger overall awards like Best Musical. It's a very unusual show for Broadway. It's small. It's kind of quiet. This is not a show with like big dance numbers. Um, It is based on an Israeli movie that I think most people haven't seen. Um, 
but it's a really beautiful story with an incredible original score by David Yazbek, who is a kind of longtime Broadway veteran who is pretty beloved in the community. It has star performances from Tony Shalhoub uh, and from Katrina Link, both of whom are nominated for good reason. Um, it's the kind of show that people walk out of and they just kind of feel generally bowled over. Um, and I think it has gotten probably the best reviews of any show this past season. So I would I would be rooting for that one. And it's, you know, the one that uh, would venture to gain the most from getting that win as well, as far as getting the publicity. Completely. Yeah. Is this sort of a case of, you know, this kind of reminds me of the year that Avenue Q ended up winning over Wicked, where you have mm-hmm. kind of like a little underdog, you know, like, remember how it made you feel type show that triumphs over like a big commercial thing. Is that kind of what might be going on this year? I think completely. I mean, The Band's Visit is a show where it just feels like all of the elements come together, the music, the acting, the set, the like even just the sort of movement on stage to create like an overall uh, show that just feels like something really new. Um, I would say that, you know, Frozen and Mean Girls and SpongeBob, they all have award-worthy elements, um, and obviously they're enjoyable as shows overall, but I personally see those shows walking off with some of the more individual awards. For instance, I think that there's a good chance that Tina Fey will win Best Book of a Musical for Mean Girls. SpongeBob is certainly one of the most visually um, inventive shows I've ever seen that they certainly deserve the set design award. Um, so I can see those shows getting, you know, picking up some individual awards, but I would, my that would be on the band visit to win Best Musical and maybe uh, Best Original Score as well. Well, last thing, and thank you for your expert opinions on the two categories that we asked you about. Last thing, mm-hmm. what what is like the one thing that you're looking forward to seeing on the show? It could be a performance. It could be maybe someone that you're personally rooting for to win. Um, it could be the hosts, which is Josh Groban and Sarah Bareilles for the first time they're hosting the Tonys. What's like one thing that you're really looking out for on the show? I am very excited about Sarah Bareilles and Josh Groban hosting. Um, I think that especially coming off last year when Kevin Spacey was perhaps not a slam dunk. Oh, that's right. Kevin Spacey. In re- Remember in him? Retrospect. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, it feels a little icky. But um, I think that Sarah and Josh are a really smart choice. I, I mean, the two of them, uh, I've interviewed both of them before. They're, they're smart. They're engaging. I think they actually are friendly in real life. I would expect them to have a really great rapport on stage. And they're both people who are sort of ostensibly from outside the Broadway community but have been very accepted by uh, the world of Broadway. I mean, Sarah Burroughs' waitress, I think, is kind of becoming a, a modern classic in its way and Josh, obviously, when he was in Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812 last year, was nominated and uh, very well received. And they're just they're two of my favorite people on social media, too. So I'm, I'm expecting some fun things from the two of them on stage, for sure. Definitely. Well, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for chatting with us, Rebecca. We really appreciate it. Yeah, and I, I will be at the Tonys by myself. Ah, ah. I'll be there. On Sunday, so I'll, I'll be on the lookout and hopefully reporting some fun things that we don't see on screen. Are, are you Amazing. are you are you going to be in the audience? Or are you lingering backstage somewhere in a press area? <laughs> I'll be I'll be in an actual chair. Nice. <laughs> I don't know where in Radio City Music Hall it will be, but I will be in a seat watching from afar. Fantastic. Well, well, then we will look out for your coverage on Billboard.com. Thanks, Rebecca. Yay. And I won't quit till I'm a star. 
Uh, I know we just said thanks to Rebecca on the phone call, but thank you so much to a fellow Billboard podcast host for joining us. And definitely check out both her podcast and all of her Tony's coverage from inside the room over on Billboard.com. And now it's time for the chart set of the week. This week in 1984, future Tony Award winner and current Tony nominee this year, Cindy Lauper topped the Hot 100 with Time After Time. The track hit number one on the list dated June 9th, 1984, and spent a total of two weeks atop the list. It was her first of two number ones on the Hot 100 and her second straight top 10 hit following her debut with Girls Just Wanna Have Fun. Somewhat surprisingly, that monster hit did not go to number one. It peaked at number two for two weeks, stuck behind Van Halen's only number one jump. Mm. So you can kind of let it slide. I guess. Good for them. They got their number one. And she got one with Time After Time. But share the wealth. Yeah, fine. Well, Time After Time would later earn a Grammy Award nomination for Song of the Year, while Girls nabbed a nomination for Record of the Year. Both lost those categories, though. But... Lopper herself won the Grammy for Best New Artist. Uh, Lopper also later won an Emmy Award for Outstanding Guest Actress in a Comedy Series for Mad About You and a Tony Award for Best Original Music Score for Kinky Boots, which means she's just one away from the EGOT. All she needs is an Oscar. So it's time to make the Kinky Boots musical movie. Right. And then there she is. Right. She'll write an original song for it. Yeah, and she can get, and she get a best original song nomination. It is. Um, I mean, that is how she won her second Grammy. She won. She was only won two Grammys, unbelievably, for best new wow. artist, and then she won another Grammy for best musical cast album for Kinky Boots. There you go. Um, so just keep that Kinky Boots train a rolling mm-hmm. and take it take it to the big screen again because it was I know, already it was originally it was a original movie. movie. That's why it's kind of like Hairspray. Hairspray. Hairspray started as a movie, went to Broadway, then came back as the Hairspray musical movie. Yes. Yeah, so totally there's precedent for it. Anything's possible. Indeed. Fun fact, Time After Time became a top 10 hit on the Hot 100 again in 1998 when, is it I know J or I know J? I've heard you say I know J before, but I don't know the answer to this. You know, I think I should have known this before I started talking. Well, it's, uh, it's just four capital letters, I-N-O-J. Um, this act remade the track in 1998, and it peaked at number six on the chart. And it's kind of like... It's oh, had, I remember this song. Or you this do? cover. Oh, yes. There's a beat. They add a beat to it. Mm-hmm. But it still has almost the same tempo. Mm-hmm. Like, they didn't, like... She's not singing suddenly, like, If you fall, I will catch yeah. you. I mean, it's it's not like, you know, disco. Yeah. But it's like, there's a beat to it. Sort yeah. of like a, a mid to late 90s rhythmic dance beat. Cindy Lauper also had a big moment in the 90s with the Romeo and Michelle's high school reunion scene. Ooh, you, uh, I, think, I don't know if those true colors are time after time, but there's an incredible dance sequence at the very end of that to Cindy. Oh, and there's what and they're dancing to a Cindy Oh yeah, song. they do like a full I'm pretty positive it's time after time. Um it's uh it's Romeo and Michelle played by Lisa Kudrow and Mira Sorvino and uh they're dancing with um I think is it Alan Cumming who plays the guy in that movie? Yeah. Um, sure. So good. This is where I'm actually Googling this now. Um, Katie might be faster with her typing. Um, well, so there you have it as Katie looks this up, because now I want to get this right before we close it's the It's definitely segment. time after time. Damn it. They dance a time after and time. And it's definitely Alan Cumming. Wow. So. There you go. Yes. So Please you, check that scene out on YouTube. So there you have it. This week in 1984, Cindy Lauper hit number one on the Hot 100 with Time After Time. Time After Time. 
It just matches the interpretive dance of Romeo and Michelle so perfectly. <laughs> okay. So uh, that's the end of our show. Oh. I guess we could hang out and just not do the rest <laughs> of our I mean, our we work. will hang out when we go back to our office that we share. True. We'll continue to hang out. We will continue hanging you out. You just can't join us. Um, what uh, song should we go out on? Something um, musical themed? Ooh. Oh, golly. Uh, that, you know what that made me think of? Like... <laughs> Was one night in Bangkok because <laughs> oh. I was thinking of chess and ABBA. <laughs> sure, we can play Murray Head's "One Night in Bangkok," which was a big Hot 100 hit, and it's from the musical Chess. <laughs> it fits the theme. <laughs> yeah. See you guys next time. Bye. One night in-